listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Tonight, I want to deal with seven non-negotiable traits uh, that will definitely make you an overcomer. I'm going to show you these in the Word of God. Very, very important subject because you know one of the main things that we talk about in this ministry is that we're not called to go up and down, uh, increase then decrease, promotion then falling out, diminishing. No, we're called to steadily overcome, steadily build, steadily increase. That's God's desire for us. Uh, But it's, again, as you understand, it's not an automatic thing. It's something that uh, you've got to keep your faith on, something that you've got to actively pursue. And uh, looking through the Word of God, I want to give you seven things tonight that you can find in the life of pretty much every overcomer. And, uh, And you'll see how it operates. So I want you to take notes, put these down. And then we're going to pray at the end and uh, believe God for miracles for you, your family, your business, your ministry, and watch what God will do. Uh, But seven non-negotiable traits of an overcomer. What are these things that we have to have in place in order to uh, constantly be in victory, constantly walk in victory? And uh, I'll give these to you uh, one by one. We'll, We'll break them down. Number one. The number one thing, uh, and these are in no particular order, I'll just give them all to you as I wrote them down. Um, Overcomers are people who, no matter what's going on, they can always see their expected end. That's number one. An overcomer can always see their expected end. Hey, Colleen, love you, Ned. An overcomer, number one, can always see their expected end. And uh, I'm looking at that from uh, 2 Kings chapter 4. This is the woman from Shunem who her son, who was a miracle anyway, passed away uh, and died. She took him, put him on the prophet's bed and went to find the prophet. And every time she was asked, how is everything going with you? Her answer was always, it is well, no matter what they asked about, no matter what they asked about, it is well. And so uh, she, now it, it was not well, obviously, uh, but she said it was well. Why? Because she could see her expected end from the beginning. And this is, this is faith. That's what faith does. Faith never confesses What's, what, it, what the natural realm is showing or what is uh, seen all around you. Faith doesn't confess that. Faith doesn't confess what the doctor said. Faith doesn't confess what's going on in the economy. Faith does not confess what corporations are doing or the culture is doing or governments are doing. Faith confesses its expected end, which is defined in the Word of God. And so as she was on her way, now, It's not that her son was dying. Her son was dead. And she said, it is well. And she said it over and over and over. She did not let the natural state of things define what she said or what she saw by the Spirit. An overcomer will always see their expected end. So when you have things going on and there's people watching and listening, you're dealing with things that you're facing personally, but you never confess the the, the problems that you're dealing with. You never uh, give in and say, well, you know, I don't know if it's going to turn around. This is the way my family's been going and, you know, my kids don't speak to me and I don't know. It's just, it doesn't look good. You know, this is what the doctor said and it doesn't look good, you know. Mm -mm. On the contrary, you say... You say what the Word says, and that's exactly right, Jess Burton. You'll never rise higher than your confession. Absolutely true. And that's why overcomers, 
they can see the end from the beginning. While I'm in the midst of fighting my good fight of faith, while I'm in the midst of laying hold on the promises of God, I will not only see the end from the beginning, I'll confess the end from the beginning. So that's number one. They always, they always can see it. See, you can't confess with true faith what you can't see by the Spirit. You can't confess with true faith what you, what you can't see by the Spirit. And so the key being that overcomers have to be able to see things that others cannot see. Get that in your spirit. Overcomers have to be able to see things that others cannot see. I like it. For example, uh, if I go just a couple of chapters ahead of where we are, 2 Kings 4 to 2 Kings 6, and you know what Elisha, the prophet, said when they surrounded him and his servant at Dothan. And the Bible says uh, the, the servant was freaked out when he saw the army, but the prophet was not because the prophet could see the expected end. He looked into the spirit. And what did he say? No, there are more with us than there are with them. There are more with us than there are with them. And so he began to declare, and then he prayed for the servant, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. And when the servant looked again, what did he see? Angelic armies surrounding the natural army. And what the prophet said was absolutely true. There are more with us than there are with them. They can see, an overcomer can always see the end from the beginning. Always. Can always see it. But then number two, which is tagged right on, is what the woman did and what Elisha did. Uh, number two, an overcomer always believes what they say and not what they see. And so it doesn't mean you're blind to the natural realm. You'll still see. It's not that they couldn't see the natural armies. It's not that they couldn't see her son was dead. Of course they could see it. But an overcomer, number two, believes what they say and not what they see. And this is so big because people have to get this in their spirit. If I, if I could impart this to every Christian I came across, that don't confess what you see in the natural, confess what you see in God's word. Confess what you know to be true, your expected end. I don't confess what I see in the natural. I confess what I see in the word of God. I'm combining those two things. I'm always, it's like the apostles said, we believe, therefore we speak. We believe, therefore we speak. That's the key. We always say what we believe to be true, not what we see in the natural, not what somebody else says. You know, that's, that's also a mistake that people will make sometimes is they'll just get caught up in confessing the same things that other people are saying because they've heard it. You know, you, well, you know, I guess that is true. You know, did you know that that's something that's happening now? You know, this mass psychosis that they're trying to get everyone to believe. And little by little, they're having to admit it wasn't true the whole time. I don't know if you know that about everything that's going on in the, uh, in the America and around the world right now. But little by little, they're having to admit that the numbers they gave us, all the different things were trumped up. Not only that, they're having to admit things about masks and things about vaccines that they did not want to admit. And you know, they've changed their story little by little by little, but that's what propaganda is. If you've ever studied propaganda, especially during wartime, propaganda is put out there to make a population think a certain way. That's exactly what it's for. It, even if you don't believe it to be true, they've proven this psychologically. If you hear it enough, if you hear it enough over and over and over, people start to believe it's true. And that's what's going on now. But here's the deal. We don't believe what we hear or see in the natural. We believe what we say that's based on God's word. No amount of propaganda is going to pull me off of God's word. No amount of propaganda. There was no amount of propaganda that could stop me from traveling, that could stop me from preaching, that could stop me from taking flights, that could stop me from laying hands on the sick. There's no amount of propaganda. There's no amount of uh, popular consensus that's gonna, that, that was going to stop me and our team from doing what we're called to do. I refuse 
to believe the report of the world. I refuse to believe what's going on and what's being said on the news. I refuse to believe propaganda. And the devil is actually a very skilled propagandist. Loves to put that stuff out there for you to believe. Loves, you know, he was starting that in the Garden of Eden, if you didn't realize it. He was starting all of that in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say that you, and then he flips it, that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? That's not what God said. That's not what God said. Did God really say that you can't eat of any of the trees? No, God, he said, don't eat of this tree. But what was happening from the beginning, here's the propagandist, the enemy, throwing propaganda out to make people believe a certain thing, to deceive them into believing a certain thing that was not true. That's what he's been doing from the beginning of time. And so we make up our minds, we refuse, we refuse to believe propaganda, no matter what it is, because anything that contradicts God's word is a lie. In fact, I want you to put that in the comments tonight. Anything that contradicts God's word is a lie. It's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. And so uh, that's the key. Not only do we see the end from the beginning, but number two, we confess the end from the beginning. We say, we believe what we say, the apostles. And that's found in 2 Corinthians 4.13. 2 Corinthians 4.13, we believe, therefore we speak. We believe, therefore we speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Get that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. No question about it. And so what are you filling your heart with? That's the question. What are you filling your heart with? Are you filling your heart? I I quoted this verse of scripture uh, today from Proverbs chapter 4, verse um, 23, where the Bible says, Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And that's key, that your heart has to be guarded by total dedication or else the the propaganda, the things of this world, they start to fill your heart. That's um, That's what the parable of the sower was all about. You know, you had people uh, that the cares of this world begin to weigh them down. Bible calls them thorny ground. They can't receive the word. They can't produce fruit. Why? They didn't guard their heart. And if you don't guard your heart, then out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth begins to speak. You begin to say what you believe to be true. And we're seeing that all over America and around the world. And we reject those things and we speak exactly what we believe, which is the mighty word of God. Number three, the third uh, non-negotiable trait that you'll see in an overcomer is that overcomers make decisions based upon the future and not the present. Overcomers make decisions based upon the future and not the present. Hallelujah. No question about that. You know, the Bible says in the book of Ecclesiastes that there, one will not sow if they regard, you know, the weather, looking at bad weather or whatever it might be. And Ecclesiastes says a person who regards that kind of weather or looks at it and makes their decisions based upon it will not sow. But look at, it, look at somebody like Isaac, Abraham's son Isaac. The Bible says he moved into um, the land God called him to inhabit even in the midst of a famine. There was a famine in that land. There was a famine in that land. But the Bible says, and thank you, Luenda, for sowing a seed. The Bible says he sowed in that land and reaped in that same year 100-fold. Glory to God. 
reaped that same year 100 fold. Well, what was he doing? He was not considering the weather. He was not considering the circumstances. He was considering God's promise. So he was making decisions based on the future and not the present. Powerful. Making decisions based on the future and not the present. One of the things that people get caught up in is doing things based on the now. That is so, you know, whether it be because of uh, this culture we've built of I've got to have it now. I want to do it now. It's got to be right. And there's an impatience. There's, there's this, uh, there's this impatient attitude that's crept into uh, the Western world, the Western culture. You know, when we live in a day and age where you can get one day deliveries or same day deliveries at Amazon and you can go through drive throughs and you can find anything you want on the internet, all of these different things, it's like people have grown impatient. And so everything has to be right now, right now, right now. But see, there are people that understand the word of God that they don't always make their decisions based on the right now, right now. They make their decisions based upon the future. Based upon the future. And so if, if Isaac, you know, uh, was making decisions on right now, he would not have sown. You know, when God said, don't go down to Egypt like your father did, but go to a land that I will show you and I'll be with you there and I'll bless you there. Well, he obeyed, even though, think about two things he did, two things. Number one, he moved to a place where there was famine. That was number one. Who moves to a place where there's famine? But God told him to. And so he obeyed. Why? He was making decisions based on the future and not the present. He said, Lord, if this is where you're leading me, I'll go there, I'll plant there, even though it's a famine in that land. I'll go there. So he moved there, but then to take it to another step of faith, which people would think is crazy, he didn't just move there, he sowed there. He sowed in the midst of famine. When everyone else's crops are dying, he's sowing. He's sowing. And the Bible says, because he made decisions based on the future. What is that? God's command. God's instruction. He didn't look at the right now. God said this. He's going to bring something to pass. And because he did, the Bible says, and he reaped in that same year 100 fold. Glory to God. Glory to God. I refuse to make decisions based on right now. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Uh, that's, that's a spam, by the way, Luenda. Don't reply to that. I don't know who made that up. You see that, Tiff? Unbelievable. Demonic. Um, by the way, if you're, if you ever get things on social media, People asking you to direct message, like in my name, you know, send me a direct message. I have a vision for you. I, I, you know, immediately see, someone sees somebody sow a seed and needs to give them a vision they had in a private message. You'll never get me DMing you on Instagram or DMing you on Facebook or anything like that asking you for money. If you sow on the broadcast, that's one thing. If you sow in our mailing list or on our website, that's another thing. But let me tell you, you're never going to get me uh, sending you messages asking you for money. So that's always a spam, always spam, always block it and report it. Um, but when you make decisions on the future and not on the present, it allows God to work because that's faith. What you're saying is, Lord, I believe what you said over all of the things that are happening in the world. I trust you beyond that. The world's not my source. Government's not my source. All these things, they're not my source. You're my source. And when you live like that, God honors that kind of faith because that's a faith that God can do anything with that will not regard the natural realm, that will not regard the season, that will not regard what's going on with the government or with the financial system of the world. It won't regard any of that. Just believes God's word. And then making those decisions, those are based on the future, not on the present. Number four, and this, this number four is a big one. Overcomers, 
those that are constant overcomers, are always ready to fight. I want you to put that in the comments. Constant overcomers. Number four, they are always ready to fight. Always ready to fight. Spiritual fight I'm talking about. To fight the good fight of faith and lay hold on eternal life. Faith, I love what Bishop Oyedepo says. Faith is not a, and he's Nigerian, so this is, this is his phrasing. Faith is not a gentle stuff. Faith is a fight. He always says that. Faith is not a gentle stuff. Faith is a fight. And that's exactly right. Paul wrote that to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Fight the good fight of faith and lay hold upon eternal life. You can't be a winner if you're not willing to be a fighter. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. Thank you, Jesus. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. No question. And so you've got to be ready always to fight the good fight of faith. One of the things the devil would love to do is to take the fight out of people. Always. He would love to fight against a passive church. He would love to fight spiritually against a church that's dormant and docile. And that's not what we're called to be. We're called to fight the good fight of faith. Called to lay hold on eternal life. And that's what we'll do. And, and, part of, and of course, we know what the Bible teaches. You know, you can't fight the devil with a gun or a knife. The Bible says the weapons of our warfare, they are not carnal, but they are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. They are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. So we start to realize that we use spiritual force and spiritual weapons to fight the good fight of faith. And, and as we're fighting, you know what we're doing. We are stepping out to pray, to fast, to declare and confess. And again, all the, all the spiritual disciplines that we've locked in, we're fighting in that way. And that's the key. Only fighters are qualified to be winners. But notice this, and I, I do want to make it plain, because if you see something, this, you know, this is why the doctrine that we teach is so important. So important. That's why I don't hold to some uh, reformed Calvinist doctrine that will teach you that anything that happens in the world, anything that happens is the decree of God. And that if you truly believe and understand uh, the scripture, then everything is by God's active decree. Even the things he allows, only way they could happen is if he decreed them to come to pass. So the problem with that teaching is, is that if anything negative happens, if there's an attack of the devil, I'm sitting there thinking, wait a minute, this came under God's decree. This came under God's decree. You know, when you're, you know, and I, and I, I dealt with this before, but when you believe, when you see that people that believe like that and truly believe it, I don't mean the fringe Calvinists, I mean the ones that truly believe it to the nth degree and take it out to its logical end, they believe that every negative thing that's ever happened in history happened by God's decree, including the Holocaust, including, including every rape, every murder, all molestation, everything. And we don't know his purpose right now, but we will one day. And let me tell you, I can't get with a theology that makes God a murderer, a molester, a child abuser. I can't get with a theology like that because that's not the God that we serve. And so I understand the proper theology to know that there truly is evil in the world, there is a devil, there, is, there are demons, there is a spiritual uh, wickedness in place, the Bible teaches there is. Spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, we fight against it, we stand against it, and we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So we realize that it takes the strength that God has called you to walk in to fight this good fight of faith. And you are fighting in the spirit, you are fighting. But the problem with that doctrine is, if I have something negative come against me, I have to sit there and think, well, did God cause this to happen? Is this from the, the hand of the Lord? Did he decree this to teach me a lesson? Is this to show me how to more fully depend and, and, and rely on him? That's what you have to believe. And that's how you've got God as the bad guy and the good guy. And I don't believe that. 
I believe that there's an evil, wicked devil that is uh, attacking and trying to attack. And then there is uh, our God who is good, who is always looking to give life and that more abundantly. And so uh, that's how you know that if something negative has come against you, that's trying to attack your life, your health, your strength, your peace, your joy, your righteousness, any of it. It's an attack of the devil and you fight against it. You fight against it. See, if you don't believe that way, then when negative things come, come against you, you don't really have full confidence that you should be fighting against it if maybe God sent it and he didn't send it. God doesn't send wicked, evil things against his children. And so you have to realize that you have the authority and the right to fight in the spirit realm. And overcomers are always fighters, always. Number five, overcomers keep their joy intact. And this is big. Don't think this is some side thing. Overcomers always keep their joy intact. That's number five. You've got to keep your joy intact. Well, that's because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you're not called to be without strength, to be walking around weak, burdened down, walking around uh, trying to get by, always needing somebody to help you. Can you pray for me? You're not called to be a prayer project. Keep your joy intact. Keep it intact. What do I mean by that? Stay in a place that uh, um, generates, if you will, engenders overwhelming joy. And I'll tell you the quickest way to do that, literally, and I wrote a whole book on how to walk in overwhelming joy. All the steps God gave me as I was fasting and praying about that. Praise, laugh, repeat, my very first book. But one of the ways to do it, and one of the easiest ways, if not the easiest, is to just keep a disciplined praise life. Keep a disciplined praise life. Keep a disciplined praise life. That's how you can keep your joy intact. There's people that are up, down, and all around, and their joy's not intact. There's people you've got to walk on eggshells around them just to figure out what mood they're in that day. Keep your joy intact. Manifest that joy. Walk in it. Live in it. You know, it's, it's got to be the main thing in your spirit. Got to be the main thing. Paul wrote, to the Roman church and he said, uh, the kingdom of God is not what you eat or what you drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That's what the kingdom of God is. It is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And joy, you take that out. You take peace out as well. That's what most people are lacking. Joy and peace. They might got, they've got the righteousness part down because God put them in that position, but where's the joy? Where's the peace? You're missing two-thirds of what the kingdom of God is. You're missing two-thirds of that. And so the key, keep your joy intact. Keep a disciplined praise life. Walk in that kind of strength. Walk in that kind of joy. See, because that keeps you uh, fully edified, fully encouraged. It is the fuel for your pur purpose. Hallelujah. It's the fuel for your purpose. Joy is because it's the strength to move forward. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 12, you shall go out with joy and be led forth by peace. You shall go out with joy and be led forth by peace. And so joy is that force that causes you to go out. It's the pushing force, the driving force that causes you to go out and do what you're called to do. It's what, it's what it is. And you can't minimize the importance of overwhelming joy. I've never, I'm going to be honest with you. I've never met an overcoming Christian. Never once in my life. Never met one that was accomplishing what they were called to do. That was, you know literally crushing it in every area that was uh, a person who lacked joy. Never seen it. Not once. Not once. The people that I've seen that are 
fully accomplishing their purpose, that are making an impact. They're people that are joyful, happy, strong people. Because what the enemy will do, he'll use your emotions against you. He'll use your emotions against you. And you, you lack the ability to uh, accomplish your purpose when you're always an emotional wreck. And what happens is the devil will use that to isolate you and then to stop you in your tracks. And then before you're done, you're not making the impact you're called to make. And, and you have to override. You have to override your emotional response to life. You must override. In fact, I want you to put that in the comments and, uh, and get it in your spirit. I must override my emotional response to life. I must override my emotional response to life. Have to. I'll tell you, I did this just a few days ago. I did it. I was so, I was upset. I was very upset about something someone had done. And uh, I, I just, I, I was like very, more than, more than I've been in a while, irritated. And I stopped before any of that started coming out of me. And I was alone at the time. And I just started thanking God. I literally just took, I took authority over my own emotional response. I took, I took authority immediately. And I just began to thank God and praise God and give God glory. And that, and I, right there in that moment, I, cause I was, I was angry. I want to just like punch the bed <laughs> where I was. I didn't punch the bed. I didn't get angry. I didn't let that thing overtake me. I just began to thank God and praise God and worship God because you can't, you have to override your emotional response to life, override your emotional response to life. Don't allow what's going on around you to govern what God can do through you. Let me say that again. Don't let what's going on around you govern what God can do through you. And if you don't override your emotional response to life, then what happens is you can't walk by the spirit because the emotional response is the carnal response to life. But you take authority and you walk by the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And so we have to do it. Joy has to be uh, a factor in every one of our lives. If we're called to be overcomers, if we're called to be overcomers, we must immediately take authority over anything in the carnal realm. Fleshly response, emotional response, soulish response. You take authority and you make it obey Jesus Christ, the Bible says. So uh, overcomers, number five, know how to keep their joy intact. Number six, uh, those that are overcomers learn, have learned how to receive impartation from a spiritual father, or what you may call a mentor, somebody that's a spiritual mentor or, or what you might call a spiritual father, those that can give you true impartation, those that can pour out true impartation. You know, uh, Paul did that for Timothy. Elijah did that for Elisha. Jesus did that for the disciples. Moses did that for Joshua. Paul did that for Onesimus. Uh, you know, Titus, you go through all these different people, you understand that there is, there is a, um, a transfer. There is a transfer of power and impartation uh, that comes when you receive it that way. And that is one of God's main methods. That's why I took the time to write Further Faster. It's a book that helps you understand that impartation is God's main method of promotion in the body of Christ. It is God's main method of promotion in the body of Christ, impartation. That's why he modeled it throughout the Old and New Testaments. Because God doesn't want every generation to have to learn how to be an overcomer from scratch. What a waste of time that would be if every generation had to figure out how to make it work for themselves by trial and error and trial and error. No, God will just bring somebody to you that will give you instruction that if you can learn by instruction, you won't have to learn by destruction. Very important. If you can learn by instruction, you won't have to learn by destruction. And so God will bring somebody to you, a spiritual 
uh, leader, whether it's your pastor, whether it's a, a minister, whether it's somebody that's an elder, you know, the Bible even teaches that. Let the older women in the church train up the younger women. Let the older men train up the younger men. Why? Because they've been there, they've done that. They're probably more spiritually mature than the younger are with wisdom and knowledge that they don't yet have. And rather than those young people going through their life, trial and error, missing it, and, and going from failure to failure, trying to find success, somebody that's been there and done that with spiritual maturity and with insight and with a, 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 you know, you could just call it someone that's been a little further down the road can give you instructions that will bring you quickly into the place you want to be. They'll bring you quickly. Why? Well, God uses men and women. That's how he does it. He, he, if you think about it, he placed, first of all, the ministry gifts in the church for the perfecting of the saints. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. He placed those into the body of Christ for the perfecting of the saints. Those are men and women. Those are men and women. And so we're not, you know, there, there's this push to just act like we're all on the same level or we're all the same. And, you know, I'm just telling you, there's a push in our generation to try to bring every minister down to the level of the layperson. And that's not God's intent. It's not God's intent. There are those. That's why it's more, that's why the Bible teaches that there's more of a responsibility on the one who is supposed to be a ministry gift in the church. They'll be judged more harshly. There's more of a responsibility on their life. Why? There are more requirements to hold that position because it's not on the same level. It's a level God instituted to teach other believers and raise them up. There is spiritual authority within the church. And there is delegated authority. And that's why it's so important. Why try to figure it out from scratch when God will put someone in your life that will, keep, that will bring you to the place you're called to be? And how wonderful it is when we have the humility necessary to receive from somebody who's been there and been beyond where we've been. I taught on, uh, one of the things I taught on this morning was the power of humility. And it, it's necessary because without humility, you, you, you cause yourself to become uh, a person that's in opposition to God himself. The Bible says that God opposes the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. He opposes the proud, but he gives more grace to the humble. So hu humility, meekness, uh, puts you in position to be able to not only obey God's word, but to receive from the men and women that God has put in the earth to perfect the saints. When you do that, let me tell you something. It'll bring you into a place where you're overcoming consistently. Why? Because you're able to gain access to wisdom that you would not have had before. Imagine somebody lived their whole life. It took them 30 years to pick up that kind of wisdom. They could deliver it to you in a short period of time to where all the things they took 30 years to learn, you could learn like this. Because you're humble enough to say, you know what, they've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, and they can deliver to me wisdom and knowledge. And that's part of impartation. And we need it if we're going to be consistent overcomers in life. And let me give you number seven. The, the seventh thing that I see consistently, overcomers give until they feel it. So what do you mean by that? They're not God tippers. Let me, let me just coin that term here on the broadcast at nine o'clock. They're not God tippers. What's a God tipper? People that are tipping God in the offering plate, just dropping little things in here and there. Nothing that means anything to them just because they want to be seen actually putting something in the offering plate or bucket, but they're not God tippers. They're, they give until they feel it. What do you mean? What do you mean by they feel it? I mean that their flesh feels it. It's something that takes faith for them to give takes faith for them to sow. And that's what I'm talking about. Because let me just be very plain with you. We're not going to walk into uh, 2022, a year of divine possession, automatically. As I said this morning, it'll be the faithful people of God that will walk into that kind of divine possession this year because they've stepped out. There's not going to be some kind of a windfall of financial increase and have the wealth of the wicked transferred into your hand 
if you're not someone who is giving like an overcomer gives. Giving until you feel it. Until your flesh is saying like, hold on, take it easy a minute. I mean, let's think about this. <laughs> you know, your flesh always tries to talk you out of what God said to do. But we don't uh, listen to what the flesh says. We operate by the Spirit. And as we operate by the Spirit, then things begin to unlock. They begin to unlock. That's why I've, I've taught you to always keep an eye. Keep an eye on where you're at in the spirit realm. And what I mean by that is, uh, keep an eye on where your sowing's at. You say, well, you know, is this something that's still, because let me tell you, as quickly as God is promoting people now, as quickly as God is lifting people up to another level, let me just say, you ought to check often and say, wait, I've been sowing like this for a little while. Is this kind of sowing still taking faith for me to do? Does it still require faith for me to give at this level? Because you'll be surprised at a point where you'll be like, wait a minute, this kind of sowing, this kind of giving, it used to take faith for me to do. But now I realize something, that it, it's, not, it's not very hard for me to do this. What I, what I used to do that was hard, God has blessed me to the degree where it's not hard like it used to be hard. Now I'm doing it with ease and I'm doing it and I'm noticing it doesn't stretch my faith anymore. Watch for that stretch faith feeling. Stretched faith. It's, it's stretching me to sow something. This is what I mean by feel it. Their flesh feels it. It's not that their spirit doesn't want to give. It's that their flesh begins to feel it. It stretches your faith to do that thing. And when it does, you think to yourself, now I'm back in the place where I need to be, where I feel my faith being stretched as I sow. I'm feeling my faith moved as I sow. Because the key is, I don't want to ever give God something that doesn't mean anything to me. That's not what overcomers do. I've read to you uh, uh, 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel 24, 24, where King David was very clear with one of his subjects, Arana, and said, I will buy your threshing floor, I will buy your oxen, I will buy the yoke, because I will not give God something that costs me nothing. I will not give God something that costs me nothing. And so that's what David was doing. He was making sure, what I'm about to present to God, does it mean anything to me? Now, if Arana had just given him the threshing floor, given him the oxen, given him the yokes, which he offered to do all three of those, and then David gave that to God, did that mean anything for David? No. Because it wasn't his. And it didn't cost him anything. He wasn't invested in it. He said, no, I have to pay you. Because if I don't pay you, then my offering to God will mean nothing to me. And I will not give God something that costs me nothing. In fact, I want you to write that in the comments tonight. I will not give God something that costs me nothing. That's important. I will not give God something that costs me nothing. And so overcomers will give until they feel it, that they're stretched their faith. They'll, because remember this, there's no way to go to the next level in giving if God can't trust you at this level of giving. Woo! Get that, man. Get that in your spirit. There's no way to move to the next level of giving if God can't trust me at this level of giving. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Imagine people that are actually praying that God would bless them financially and take them up and get them a promotion or raise and all these things. Oh God, bless me financially. Imagine that and they don't even tithe. Think about that for a minute, how ridiculous that position is. Asking God to bless and increase you while you're actively robbing him. That's crazy. But if you don't think that's happening in America and around the world, it absolutely is. And God can't take you to the next level of sowing and reaping if you've not been faithful in this level of sowing and reaping. People say, man, I'll tithe. When I get to that place where I'm making such and such amount of money a year, I'll start tithing. You won't, because if you don't do it now, you won't do it then. 
If you don't do it now, you won't do it then. Well, I'll start giving like I mean it when I get to this level. If you don't do it now, you, don't, you won't do it then. I mean, I, honestly, I, I, I started giving $1,000 offerings when I barely had thousands of dollars in the bank. Barely. I mean, I think the first time I ever did it, where it was like a true sacrificial, I, I mean, I, putting a check and $1,000 in the offering plate, I think I probably had like $1,700 in the bank total. But I knew, I knew the Lord was, was calling me to do it and stretching my faith. And I knew I had to take that step. So people think, well, man, that, that's the kind of giving that like millionaires do. No, 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 it's not. It's not. If you don't do it now, you won't do it then. There's my mom in the comments with the, with the, with the comment. If you don't do it now, you won't do it then. And the key being, you've got to step out in faith now, where you're at now. And when you do, watch what God will do. See, God judges what we do for him by what it means to us. Whew. Man, that's, that's a word for somebody. Get this in your spirit tonight. God judges what we do for him by what it means to us. And we know that from Scripture. Because the Bible says Jesus was judging people's offerings in the temple by the, by the uh, treasury. And when rich people were giving their large amounts, uh, Jesus watched. And then when the widow sowed her two mites, Jesus told the disciples she gave more than all these men. And they said, what are you talking about? Look what they gave. He said, yeah, they gave from their abundance. But she gave all she had. It's funny to me that that's a, a story people try to use to, to, to sow large, small amounts. Well, she gave two mites. God must be happy with two mites, two pennies, two copper coins. That's not what the story's about. The story is about she gave all she had, which means what Jesus was trying to teach in context was, is that by ratio, she gave me more than all these rich men because they gave what looked large to you, but they didn't feel it. She gave all she had. She felt it. Meaning, for example, I always use this because it's easy for people to understand. Two people sitting right next to each other in church could both give $1,000. But what if one of them had a, a 1.2 million in the bank and the other one had 1,700 like I did in the bank? God doesn't look at those two offerings of $1,000 the same way. The one who has 1.2 million doesn't even feel it, doesn't even feel it. Now on paper they look the same, but they are far from the same. And the one who has 1,700 feels it very much. And see, it's about God, that's how God looks at what you're doing. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it doesn't mean anything to God. If it doesn't take faith, it's displeasing to God. So this is why I'm telling you, people that are overcomers, that are operating in that level of increase, that are seeing God use them in that way, they are people that give until they feel it. And if I could encourage you again, I would encourage you, especially as we're starting a new year, be introspective and say, Lord, these things I've been sowing, what I've been giving into your kingdom, is this still something that presents faith to you? Is this something that still takes me faith to accomplish? Or is this something I'm doing with ease and I don't even feel it anymore because you've blessed me so much? And see, being an overcomer on a consistent basis, 24-7, not just overcoming for a month out of the year or whatever, 24-7, it takes this kind of dedication to God's kingdom that will put you in a place where you don't fail, where you don't go from crisis to crisis. You go from blessing to blessing, increase to increase, where you go from victory unto victory, where you go from faith unto faith. It's a never-ending increase. Or as Smith Wigglesworth said, it's an ever-increasing faith. And that's the key. It's an ever-increasing faith. Glory to God. And that's what we're believing for you for this year of 2022. It's your year of divine possession. To take a hold of what you've never had. To do what you've never done. To go where you've never gone. And to do what you've never done. That's what this year is about. It's a year of divine possession by the power of the Holy Ghost. And here at the end of this broadcast, we're going to pray. We're going to join our faith together because this is going to be a year that blows people's minds by the power of the Holy Ghost. 
I can't even wait to see what God's getting ready to do. Something has unlocked in America and around the world. And the prayers of the righteous, the prayers of the righteous have made great power available, as the Bible says. And they're at work right now. And we're seeing divine intervention in America. We're going to see it in Canada. We're already seeing it in England. We're seeing it in the nations of the world. God is already lifting the burden. He's already lifting and intervening in our circumstances. And it's going to open fully up. The nations are opening up. The gospel will be preached. Souls will be saved. And there's nothing the devil can do about it. Nothing at all that the devil can do about it. So I want to pray. And again, I know you're sending in your prayer requests. Tomorrow we're going to lay hands on every one of them. Uh, And we're going to pray and join our faith. You can go to miracleword.com forward slash prayer. And you can submit those prayer requests. We'll print them out. Carolyn and I are going to lay our hands on them tomorrow night at 9 o'clock. You don't want to miss it. But I want to pray right now because there's people that need miracles. I've had my faith set for Cass. Uh, uh, she's in a, in a facility right now. Faith and I have been joining our faith together. And we want you to do the same. The Lord's going to touch her. And this is going to be the greatest year that she's ever known by the power of the Holy Ghost. Father, we come to you tonight in the mighty name of Jesus. So thankful for this precious anointing. So thankful for the word that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that as we get ready to finish up this fasting and prayer, strongholds are already broken. Burdens are already lifted. The invisible prison that the enemy has tried to keep so many people in, the doors are swinging open and people are coming out in, uh, coming out in victory in Jesus' name. And so tonight, right now, I pray for those that are battling, those that need freedom from the Holy Ghost. And I take authority first over every attack of the mind that has tried to plague people for so long, heaviness, depression, anxiety, fear, suicidal thoughts. I take authority over ADD and ADHD. I take authority over multiple personality disorder, demons that are attacking the lives of men and women. And I rebuke it tonight in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I command it to loose its grip and let them go by the power of the Holy Ghost. I command addictions to be quickly broken, prescription medication, Drugs, alcohol, nicotine, pornography, the issues that have held people in bondage. Loose your grip tonight and let God's people go in the mighty name of Jesus. Strongholds are broken by the power of the Holy Ghost and in the name that's above every name, Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those that are battling in their body sickness, battling disease. I rebuke that in Jesus' name. And I command disease to let God's people go. I command sickness to let God's people go. We lose healing virtue right now, flow through their bodies. Make them whole, Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus. We pray again for Pastor Rhonda. We thank you that healing virtue is flowing through her body tonight. Every wicked thing that was sent against her life has to leave and loose its grip from this night forward. Full recovery is what we're declaring and expecting to quickly come to pass. Full recovery in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you're working among your people. We thank you that this will be the greatest year we've ever known. We declare it once again. Lands and properties have come into our hand and are coming into our hands. We thank you, Lord. Unprecedented testimonies of people that have never had or owned a home are going to own their own home. People that have never had their own land or having their own. God, you're delivering it. We thank you. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The cattle on a thousand hills, they are yours. The silver and the gold, they are yours. And so, Lord, we thank you that this is our year to receive divine possession by the power of the Holy Ghost. We take possession of what belongs to us. Lord, let this be the year that the wealth of the wicked is not only laid up for the just, it's transferred into the hands of the just. In Jesus' name, we receive it. Lord, let this be a year that you quickly promote and uh, advance your people into what you've called us to do. Let us make a bigger impact in one year than we ever have in the history of our lives in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We thank you that we're moving further and we're doing it quickly. We're not waiting. This is going to be a year that you move very swiftly on behalf of your people. Lord, we thank you that your word declares in Psalm 147, that God sends his commands to the earth and his word runs very swiftly. 
We thank you that your word is running swiftly through this earth and through our lives, through our families, through our businesses, through our ministries, in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Your word runs very swiftly. And so we thank you for what you're doing in the earth. We thank you for what you're doing in America. We thank you. We declare America shall be saved in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. America shall be saved in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We give you glory for that. We give you praise for that in Jesus' name. This is our year to see you move and manifest your presence all through the 50 states and the minor outlying territories, through every province and territory in Canada. We thank you, Lord. Revival is hitting these nations and the attack of the enemy is being driven out by the power of God. We declare it. Lord, blow your breath into every church that's become dormant, that's become uh, lukewarm, that has put their ministry or their life on cruise control. Lord, in Jesus' name, touch them. Blow your breath into this nation. Blow your breath into the churches. And we thank you, Lord. And we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. We thank you and we give you all the glory. We give you all the glory. We declare you're the only one that's able. You're the only one worthy to do exceeding abundantly and above all that we could ask or think according to the power that works in us. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody, if you believe it and receive it, shout a loud amen. Throw some hands up in the comments section and give God the glory for what he's already doing, what he's already working. Hallelujah. If you feel it in your spirit and you feel that leading of the Holy Ghost to sow a seed, you can do that. You can go to miracleword.com. I say thank you to every person that's stepping out, joining us, me and Carolyn, sowing seeds, standing with us as we're preaching the gospel. I love you and I say thank you. And if you'd like to do it, there's the information on the screen. All of the digital ways to give uh, are also on the website. And if you're a person that still has faith that the post office will deliver your mail, which means you have more faith than me, uh, if you'd like to mail a check, our address is on every page of the website at the bottom, and uh, you can do that as well. Thank you. I'm so proud of every one of you that have joined us for these 21 days of fasting and prayer, man, I commend you for pressing into the anointing and doing what the Lord has asked us to do as we believe for our nation, families, ministries. Tomorrow, I can't believe it, is already the final day of fasting and prayer. And so, um, again, tomorrow night at 9 p.m. is our breakthrough communion and prayer service. We're going to print out and lay hands on all of your prayer requests, and we're going to be taking communion together. So have your elements ready for tomorrow night. And we're going to be sowing a first fruits offering for this year, believing God for increase for 2022. And then after, of course, after the broadcast, we'll be breaking the fast, hopefully not with a triple whopper from Burger King. I don't know what it is that you're planning to have tomorrow night. Uh, does anybody have plans? I would love to see it in the comments if you do have plans. Please don't let it be. A, a triple whopper from Burger, from Burger King. It's a bad move. Miss Luenda, have a wonderful night as you go and minister to those people where you're at. God's going to use you mightily. Somebody said Red Robin. Eric, my God, be careful. Soup, not a bad idea. Pork chops with cream cheese mash. Whoo! Be easy. Be easy on your Popeyes. Oh, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Noodles. Jess Burton, that's a good idea. It's a very good idea. It's not hard on your stomach. A big salad. Not a bad idea, Jody. Grilled cheese and tomato soup. Praise Not a bad idea. Steak. Colleen, be careful. Steak's one of the hardest things for your stomach to process. Chicken gumbo. I don't even know what Luby's is. Let me just tell you something. If, if the bowel movements have stopped, that's when you really have to be careful. So just, I'm warning you ahead of time. Be careful on your stomach. <laughs> Spinach salad, my mom said. Excellent choice. A pretzel. Chicken gumbo, I don't know if I'd try. XL double cheese meat pizza. Oh, <laughs> Luanda, be careful. A poached egg, cracker barrel. Hey, cracker barrel biscuits, I feel the Holy Ghost on that. Chipotle with no meat. Not a bad idea. 
Spinach is great in a salad, not cooked. I don't know what I'm gonna do, but it's gonna be wonderful. It's gonna be so wonderful. I'm thinking about like a cheese stick. <laughs> Smart, Ed. Smart. Your mom's cooking. Smart. <laughs> I love you guys, man. Have a great rest. Uh, have a great Saturday. Take time. Finish up your Bible reading. Pray. And uh, I will see you again tomorrow night at uh, 9 p.m. for our live communion breakthrough service. I love you. I'll talk to you soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.